Amen. It's good to be in the house of the Lord this morning and good to be here with you. It's always an honor to be in this pulpit. I've considered that from a young man to be in a pulpit of any great man of God like Brother Hildebrandt and, and now uh, his associate, Brother Ed, whom I consider a great man of God and has been a, a real positive influence in my life. And I thank God for these brothers and, and I know you do too. Amen. And I want to bring you greetings from the saints at Cloverdale and uh, this Brother Biscoe, Brother Tom Ray, and the saints there just send their love and greetings always to the church here in Edmonton. And I'm thankful for two great sons like Andrew and Stephen that I can ride on their coattails <laughs> and uh, that they could be with me. I, you know, it used to be some of you old timers will remember that big family in that big blue van that came down from Grand Prairie once in a while, and you know all those kids and everything. And well, I passed the torch to Stephen now, <laughs> and uh, he's the one that brings the big family down from Grand Prairie for a visit once in a while. So we're we're glad we could just carry on in what God's called us to do. But uh, we're thankful for this message. Where would we be without the light that God has sent for this day? This is a great message. Not just great in this day, it is the greatest thing in this day, but it is the greatest thing that has struck the face of the earth. We thank God for the atoning work of Calvary, but the revelation in this hour has brought the full light to what the atonement meant. 2,000 years ago. And so we're not just walking in the atonement, but we're walking in the full value of the atonement as we come to the end of the redemptive purpose of God. And so we are a blessed people. I I wanted to preach this morning on uh, Feast of Tabernacles, which is the Feast of Rejoicing. And uh, that's a good subject for New Year's. And uh, and that, but seemed like the Lord just wanted me to go a different direction. So if you have your Bibles, we'll take them and turn to the book of John, chapter 21. That's the last chapter in the book of John, just before the book of Acts. And uh, we'll read from there and trust that the Holy Spirit will take control. Amen. As you're turning in your Bibles, I'll just give you a moment, and, and then we'll just bow our heads for a word of prayer. And how many are glad to be here this morning? Amen. All right. I hear the page is quieting, so let's just bow our heads together. If you have a need, why don't you just hold it before the Lord? We just want to hold up our souls before him and say, Lord, search us this morning. If there's anything that we have need of, Heavenly Father, Lord, In all humility, we bow in the presence of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Father, where would we be this morning without you? You are everything, Lord. We need you now more than ever before. We've turned the page of a calendar reminding us how late it is. 2022. We never thought we'd be here. Lord, this seems like time has gone on too long, but we know that the rapture is not some event on a calendar. Lord, the rapture is an event in the bride. 
It's a position of the bride of Jesus Christ as you're bringing every last uh, predestinated seed to be quickened by the Word of God wherever they are in the world. And, and many have labored over the years to get this Word out that you might reach the elect. Lord, if there be one here this morning that's not quickened, may you quicken them, Lord. Maybe there be somebody watching over the internet, Lord, that, that's streaming the service because they're not able to be here. Lord, may you quicken them this morning, O oh God. Might be somebody that watches it on the archive in the days ahead. Lord, that's hungering and thirsting after righteousness. Lord, may your quickening power come to them. And we realize that you are the discerner of the thoughts and intents of every heart, Father. There's no person in this room. There's no person under the sound of my voice. But what you know their hearts, you know their needs, you know their desires, you know their yearnings, oh God, you know their burdens, Father. And I pray, Lord, that you'll just direct the service this morning, the speaker and the hearer. You'll unite our hearts that you might move in full liberty and bring your word to each each one that has need of it because the words that you speak, they are spirit and life. And we need spirit and life this morning. We come that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly, Lord. Lord, we, we're going this way in these last days. We heard the other day of the passing of several of the saints. We miss them, Lord. They've gone on. We've shook in their hands many times, Lord. We've embraced them, oh God. We've heard their words, but now they're on the other side. But we press on, Father. We want to lay a hold of the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. We're here for a purpose now, and we just pray that you'll just, as we turn back the pages of your word, Father, may you just send a quickening to it. May you just bring an anointing into your word that will inspire each and every one. We ask your blessing now upon the reading and the speaking of it in Jesus Christ's name, amen. Amen. John chapter 21 and verse 15 is where we'll read. So when they had dined, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? And he saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. And he saith unto him, Feed my lambs. How many love the Lord this morning? How many love the Lord this morning? Amen. And he saith unto him the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And he saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. How many love the Lord this morning? Amen. Amen. And he saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And Peter was grieved because he had said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? How many love the Lord this morning? Amen. And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things, thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, feed my sheep. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, when thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when you shall be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee, and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. And thus he spake, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said unto him, follow me. Then Peter, turning about, seeing the disciple whom Jesus loved, 
who also wrote this book in the Bible. Following which also leaned on his breast at supper and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? Peter seeth, which said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? Peter seeing him said unto Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? And Jesus said unto him, If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. Amen. The Lord add his blessing to the word. You may have your seats. I want to take just a little statement from that scripture. What is that to thee? You know, Jesus wanted Peter to focus. Three times he asked the same question. Peter, do you love me? And uh, he was focusing Peter on the love that was the most important thing that would be revealed. He didn't say, Peter, do you love your brethren? He didn't say, Peter, do you love your wife? Or Peter, uh, do you love everybody? Do you love your enemies? Do you love this one? No, he says, Peter, do you love me? This is after the resurrection and, and, and the last few words recorded in the book of John. And, and specifically, he's referring Peter to the relationship and the love of that relationship that was to be revealed in Peter, specifically the love that was predestinated between Peter and Christ, between Peter and the Messiah, between Peter and Jehovah. He wasn't talking about love in general. He says, Peter, do you love me? The channel between the creator and the creation that nobody else can share. Do you know God has a channel for each one of us individually? He's a personal God. He's a personal God. He knows you individually. He doesn't come to us saying, does your family love me? He doesn't come to us and say, does your church love me, Brother Ed? Does your people love me? But he comes to us individually and says, do you love me? I want to know, do you love me? I'm your creator. I'm your savior. I'm your healer. I'm your provider. I'm your deliverer. I'm everything that you have need of, but I want to know, do you love me? I love you. Do you love me, he says. We know we love him because he first loved us. We were in his thoughts before the foundation of the world. And that's why God hates denomination. And God hates man-made ideas because he alone receives worship. He alone communicates with us. And he alone chooses the vessels that he wants to use. There's no person. There's no third person, I'm sorry. There's no other person between you and God. Your pastor is not between you and God. Your pastor is one that encourages you. Become united to him. Don't be united to this church. Don't be united to me. Don't be united to somebody else. Be united to him. Walk with him. He wants to walk with you. Amen. When he was with Brother Branham out in the wilderness, as Brother Branham rebuked the storm, he said to Brother Branham, won't you walk with me? 
Amen. A simple statement. Not everybody. Won't you get everybody to walk this way? Won't you teach these things? No, won't you walk with me? Brother Brown's response was, of course, I would be honored to walk with you, Lord. And as they walked down through the wilderness together in the presence of the Lord, all of a sudden he was changed young again. So his relationship to God individually became so great till it even changed his mortal body. Hello, bride. Our relationship to him must become so great. The revelation of love that has been revealed in this hour must become so personal to us till it changes our mortal body. It becomes so real to us that it's just him and us. It doesn't matter what somebody else does. It doesn't matter what some other church does. If End Time Message Tabernacle is the last church in the world, we'll still serve God. Can you say amen to that? I'm putting it in the first person for you, but it's not the church. If every last person from End Time Message Tabernacle leaves, you'll still be here. Amen. Amen. You'll say to Brother Ed, if everybody else leaves, Brother Ed, I'll still be in the pew pulling on the word of God. Amen. I'll still be one that says, I love the Lord. I'm not here for Brother Ed. I'm not here for Brother Harold and my loyalty to him and his ministry. I'm not here for Andrew, Brother Andrew or Brother Malcolm or Brother Johnny, who's not here today. I understand he's on some mission. <laughs> far East, I think I heard on the other day. He's in the Far East on a mission. Amen. I don't know if you were on a mission, Malcolm. All right or Maxwell, rather, it's good to see you. And uh, everybody has a mission, especially when they're young and single. See, Brother Tim, where are you going with this? Sometimes we get distracted by our personal missions. I'm not saying anybody's distracted. I'm just saying sometimes we get things on our mind in this world. But Jesus, as he spoke to Peter, as Peter began to look at John, and he says, well, what about him? What's going to happen to him? He seems very close to you. Tell me, what's going to take place in his life? Jesus says, what is that to you? Follow thou me. Well, what about this one in the church, or what about that one? This one's sick, or that one's going through a battle, or this trial. What is that to you? Follow thou me. Hello? Amen. He's speaking to us personally this morning. There's no other gospel than this gospel. There's no other gospel to the Gentiles. There's no choice. There's no choice between Baptist, Methodist, Pentecostal, Catholic, message, whatever. There's no other gospel. There's only one gospel. There's only Just because we take the title of message doesn't mean we're in. I'm sorry. It doesn't, I go to a message church, that's the latest and that's the greatest. That doesn't mean anything. Lovest thou me. Amen. Amen. Peter, or Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 11, he says, Would to God that you bear with me a little in my folly, and indeed bear with me, for I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to the Catholic Church. No. To the message. No. To Christ. 
even though the message is Christ, but that I may present you to Christ. The message has always been Christ. Amen. But I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so should your minds be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he that cometh preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, if anybody preaches is what's not already written in the word of God. That's why Brother Radham even said about the seven seals. He says it can't be something in addition to the Bible. He says it has to be in the Bible. Although it's hidden by mysterious, uh, uh, by mysteries, but it will be those mysterious truths, those divinely revealed mystery truths that will literally turn our hearts back to the faith of the fathers. But it's already laying in the word. But it would take a specific gift and a specific ministry to unlock the mysteries of the word. And now let me just say it this way. It wasn't his ministry that unlocked the mysteries. It was the lamb that unlocked the mysteries. We appreciate Brother Branham. We love Brother Branham. I'm thankful for that gift every day of my life. But it wasn't Brother Branham that brought the seals. It was the lamb that took the book. It was the kinsman redeemer that took the book. I'm in love with him. Amen. I've been your spouse to him. And I've been united to him by the revelation of the word of God. Amen. Jesus knew what was going to happen to John. Ethan, God knows what's going to happen to you. You know that? Now, you can't say, mm-hmm, because your mask covers your face. At least give me a nod, you know. If you're going to say amen, say it enough that it gets through your mask. Amen. God knows what's going to happen to you. Believe that, Brother Max? God knows. He knows your future. He knew John's future. He knew he would live to a ripe old age. He knew that he would be on the Isle of Patmos. He knew and alluded to the fact, what if he lived till I come, that he would show him his coming in the book of Revelation, as is written in the book of Revelation on the Isle of Patmos. He would see over into the day of the Lord. He would see the events of this day, and he would hide them behind symbols in the book of Revelation so that it would be carried down to this age. God knew that, but to Peter, he wasn't showing Peter his knowledge. He said, Peter, that doesn't matter to you. What matters to you is our relationship. Amen? What matters to you is your walk with me. Oh, I, I, I'm just getting so many thoughts right now, but I, 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 just, the, I just want to say the future that is important is your future. Not Brother Ed's future, not Brother Harold's future. That's important to them. What's important is your future. Lord, what about my future? Where are you going to take me? I love you, and I'll follow you no matter where it takes me. Do you love him? Because this love, this agapo, is, is the unbreakable eternal bond, the unbreakable union that exists between God and his thoughts. And if you are his thought expressed, because that's the only way to have your name written in the book, is that you're, you were in his thoughts before the foundation of the world. And you're nothing other in this hour than the expression thought of God. We sometimes have trouble seeing that because we see our mistakes. We see our faults. We see our weaknesses. We know our own mind battles. 
Come on, that's where the battle is. We know our own thought battles and the things that we go through as the devil comes to us with different thoughts from this age and we wrestle with those kind of things. But God saw you before the foundation of the world. That's why you even have a desire for him. That's why you even have a yearning. That's why when you do things wrong or when you're tempted by wrong things, there's something inside of you that says, but I don't want to go that way. There's something that says, that's not right. And, uh, and even though you might be the weakest of the weak, and, and you might feel like I'm not able to make it, I'll tell you what, on the basis of your least desire, you're more than able to make it. I always think about Jacob wrestling with the angel. You know, Jacob was actually looking for the mercies of God. You realize that? He was looking for mercies. He thought his life was coming to an end. But he, while he was looking for the mercies of God, he found the grace of God. And those are two different things. Because his mercies are renewed every day, but his grace is predestinated and unmerited. And, and there he was thinking, oh God, I just need God to have mercy on me. But he found out his name was written on the book before the foundation of the world. That he was always in the mind of God. He thought he had come to the end of his life. And then he found out his life could never end. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What a revelation to receive as he wrestled with the angel. You are not Jacob. You are Israel, a prince. As a prince, you have power with God and have prevailed. Do you realize this morning that you have power with God? You are able to prevail. You are able to walk in victory. Come on, saints. You are more than able. We are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. He has equipped you. How has he equipped you? Is it the gift? Is it, is it how intelligent I am? Is it how smart I am? Is it how much energy I had? No, it's the fact that you were in his thoughts before the foundation of the world. And if you can go back there and find yourself in the mind of God, because God is love. And then his thoughts is love that makes you love. Praise the Lord. You are the very love of God expressed. We know Brother Branham said that Christ was the love of God expressed. But if you're the th of the thoughts of God, if you are in the mind of God, and the very essence of God is love, and, and it's hard to even say essence because the Bible just says God is love. And if God is love, his thoughts is love. And if you're his thoughts, then you are love. We can close there. Praise the Lord. Isn't that wonderful? It's not a deep mystery. It's simple. It's in you. You just need to let the Holy Spirit quicken it and bring it alive in your life. Just three words. Follow thou me, he says. You and him. One follows, one leads. Follow thou me, he says. We know that because of the hour we live in, we know that Christ has a redemptive purpose. God has always had a redemptive purpose, a desire to express himself in a redemptive plan. In all of his characteristics, which he could not express if there was not fallen mankind. 
These are truths that are revealed in these last days that it always was in the thoughts of God to allow man to fall, that he might express himself as a healer, as a savior, as a deliverer, as a provider, all of these things that he is, that he could not express if we had not fallen. And so we are thankful for his grace that we are chosen to be the expression of God in our weakness. You know, one place, Brother Branham, and I can't remember the exact message. I think it's in the message, Oneness. He says, we're always looking at our mistakes. He says, you must not look at your mistakes. He knows you're just a man or a woman. He knows you're going to make mistakes. But he chose you anyway. That he might express himself in us. That was the revelation that Paul had, that his strength is made perfect in my weakness. Not his strength is made perfect in my strength. No, when I'm strong, I hinder him. But when I recognize that I am weak, then it lets the strength of God move through my life and allows him to express himself as he has a desire to express himself. So he has, we understand the three, a threefold purpose. First, to express himself completely God in Christ. That's the first step. To express himself completely God in Christ. Then, Brother Branham goes on second, to have the preeminences by this in his church, which is his body, the bride. He could have, to, he could have the preeminence to express himself through them. And many times we, when we read those words, God expressing himself through us, we often think about, oh, you know, standing on the mountaintop like Moses and speaking the word and, and being creators and, and changing things by the spoken word. No, God having the preeminences in you is overriding your weaknesses with his strength. That when you're sick, his healing has the preeminence. When you are downcast, his joy has the preeminence. When you are in turmoil, his peace can have the preeminence. Amen. All of these things is God having the preeminence in the church and then the church then recognizing what she is because then she can walk by perfect faith in what the word says she is. The word says we're weak. The word says we're needy. The word says that we're a part of him. And in all of that, we just say, Lord, I don't feel like a Christian, but I am a Christian. I don't feel on top of the world, but I believe that you're with me. I believe no matter how I feel, no matter what the circumstances are, no matter what happens in 2022, no matter what takes place, no matter what my future holds, that doesn't matter. What is that to thee? Follow thou me. Amen. So we've come to this revelation as a bride in the last days. And thirdly, Brother Branham says, to restore the kingdom to its rightly position that fell by sin, by the first Adam, back to where he walked in the cool of the evening with his people, talked with them, and fellowshiped with them. Amen. That's the desire of God, and that's the purpose of God, and that will be fulfilled.
Now, Paul takes the scripture in Galatians 5, and the apostle Paul, though trained in the law, learned at the feet of Gamaliel, a great teacher in that hour of the law or the Old Testament. But yet he was called to preach a gospel of grace to a Gentile bride, a Gentile people that would be called out to be the bride through seven church ages, to lay the foundation. And he, I won't read all the scriptures, but he, he says in Galatians 5 and 6, he says, for in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision. In other words, he's saying, your works don't avail anything, nor your lack of works. It's not the things you've done or the things that you haven't done that are availing anything. It says, but faith which worketh by love. That's what avails in Christ Jesus. We don't overcome by things we do or we don't do. If we're, no matter what we are able to do in ourselves, we still realize without him, we're nothing. Amen? We are, we are everything in him and nothing without him. And so in all of that, we stand in Christ Jesus and realize the faith that God has poured into our lives by his grace, which is twin sisters to love, that God has made that a reality to us. We love him. So in the good times, we praise his name as the song says, and in the bad times, we do the same. We realize that life goes through mountains and life goes through valleys. Is that right? We realize that the cycle of life is a day and a night. And, and in the book of Genesis, from the beginning, it was separated the night from the day, the darkness from the light. We realize sometimes in life we're going through a night. It happens, but it doesn't last forever. You might say this morning, I'm in a nighttime, Brother Tim. My family's in a nighttime right now. My household's in a nighttime right now. But it don't last forever. Amen. The morning comes. Praise the Lord. And it's like somebody said on New Year's Eve, said, you know, it's always darkest before the dawn. That's just the way it works. And when it seems like the darkest, you can just lift up your hands and rejoice and say, Lord, it sure is dark here, but I'm still holding on to you. I'm still walking with you, but it's so dark. What is that to thee? Follow thou me. Amen. We're still walking with the Lord. And so Paul knew exactly what he was speaking about as God had called him and revealed to him to, to preach to a Gentile bride, to lay out the truth of the gospel of the redemptive purpose of God. And we find that, that the Jews had a different attitude towards it than the Gentiles did. We know that even Paul, I can't remember which place it was in, but as he was preaching to the Jews, it was the Jews that were not receiving what he was preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he said, fine. He says, from now on, I go to the Gentiles. And it might seem like a lack of success in his ministry as he was ministering to the Jews and they weren't receiving it. And it might seem politically expedient to say, okay, fine, if the Jews aren't going to receive it, then, then I'll just preach to the Gentiles because they're receiving it. But it was the very purpose of God in his ministry. Is that right? It didn't seem right, but it was right. And sometimes God, because we're blind in our own understanding, it seems like the circumstances aren't working out the way we expected. That's when we hold on to God. 
and say, Lord, this doesn't look right, but you're still in control. You're still the one that's in charge of things. Now, we realize, scripturally speaking, that the Jews are called his brethren, and the Gentile elect are his, are his bride or his wife. Both of them have covenants. Both of them have promises in the Word of God. And both relationships are laid out in the Word of God. And, and uh, uh, you know, as Paul writes to the Hebrew church, uh, trying to lay out to them uh, uh, the, tr- the reality of the Godhead in Jesus Christ and who he was and, and how it ties into Melchizedek and all of these things in the book of Hebrews and Paul writing to the Hebrews, trying to explain to them their own God, trying to bring to them the revelation of the furtherance of God and how he's dealing with the Gentiles. He's laying it out there in the, in the book of the Hebrews, but when he's writing in the book of Romans, he doesn't lay it out that way. He's laying it out a different way and that the just shall live by faith. And he's showing them that it's not works and it's not something you've done. And it's not the based on the fact whether you're Jew or Gentile or Greek or this or that. He says, but it's all calling in Jesus Christ. And it's by faith in Jesus Christ that we come. And so we, we know that, that there's different books of the Bible that mean different things in different ages. Now bear, bear with me just for a moment. I need to take a step back so I don't just throw this out and, and lose you. We know the book of Ephesians is special to us. You know that? It's written 2,000 years ago, but it's special to us because a prophet stands in this day and says there'll come another Ephesian age. He preaches Ephesians, parallels Joshua. And so that makes Joshua, the possessing of the land, a special book to us. Maybe more special to us than the book of Ezekiel or the book of, uh, of Jeremiah or something, you know, where we maybe don't get a lot out of it, not that it's not relevant, not that it's not true. All of the Word of God is profitable, but there's an anointing that comes to an age that anoints the Word in a specific way. And so we recognize even at this age, as, as Martin Luther was really struck by the book of Romans, and, and, and it, was his, it was his sermons in the book of Romans that really stirred that age, and it was actually his sermons in the book of Romans that stirred John Wesley. As John Wesley was in a service, I always enjoy sharing this one, because John Wesley was in a service where somebody was reading from Luther's sermon on Romans. Imagine re- quoting a message book. And there was John Wesley, and he says, you know, I felt my heart strangely warmed. What was happening in the service? He was quoting from the messenger of the previous age. And here was the messenger of the next age that was hearing what was being quoted. Hallelujah. And it stirred him. It quickened him. It was the word revealed in their day. All right? And so now as we come to the time of we're living in, we realize, I hope we realize, we're at the end. It's not going to go much longer. We didn't think it would go this long. But the world is getting crazy. And the, the time of Gentiles and the work of redemption of the Gentiles is coming to its completion. And that relates to us. It also identifies us and it places us. And Brother Branham you know, wanted to preach on the seven trumpets. 
but he wasn't allowed to preach on the trumpets because that pertained to Israel, all right? Rather, he preached Feast of the Trumpets and spoke on the trumpets generally, how, they, how they're placed, but didn't speak on them individually. And so we realized that God was even saying to his prophet, who wanted to preach on the trumpets, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. That doesn't pertain to the work you're doing. What is going to happen to the Jews? What are the details of it? All of those things. What is that to thee? So now, I said that to say this. I want you to follow me closely, and I just have a strange way of preaching. I wish I was a real preacher, but I just have just my way of looking at it, if that's all right. God was focusing his prophet away from something. I want you to notice that. That was a prophet that walked in a realm that you or I know little about. It was a man of God that walked closer to God than anybody else in this age. Very much like God spoke about Moses and says, you know, I speak to him plainly, lip to ear. You know, I don't speak in strange prophecies and, you know, all that. You know the, you know the scripture and, and how that pertains to that. But here Brother Branham is, is looking into the trumpets and he's looking to the Lord for the answer. And the answer is, look away from there. Because that's not pertaining to what your ministry is. You need to focus in a different direction. What is that to thee? Follow thou me. I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 9. As I was pondering these thoughts last night and this morning, my mind came to this scripture when I woke up this morning. And I just was pondering this. So this is for somebody this morning. Are you still with me? All right. Luke chapter 9 and verse 51. It says, And it came to pass, when the time was come that he should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Now let's look at this scripture. The end of his ministry had come. He was the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. He must give his life. There's a lot going on. There's a lot of, we'll say, cross noise happening. This one wants a meeting over here, and that one wants a meeting over here. And, you know, we want to have a, a one-week revival, and we want to have a three-week revival. And this one's believing you over here. But now, the time had come, Jesus set his face steadfastly. There's something now that must take place. And I must be singular in my purpose. All right, now I'll just say this. We are approaching the rapture. We must set our face steadfastly to the rapture. This is not a time to get distracted to this direction or that direction. This is a time now to stay focused in 2022 and just realize there's something of a purpose taking place here. May God open our understanding to it. May he open our eyes, all right? So let's read a little bit further. And he sent messengers before his face, and they went and entered into the village of the Samaritans to make ready for him, and they did not receive him because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. Now, the scripture condenses its truths 
and hides it from us if we don't look closely at it, what was taking place. They would have received him if he didn't say he was going to Jerusalem, all right? But they wouldn't receive him because he had a purpose in life, and he says, I must go to Jerusalem. He set his face towards Jerusalem. I have one purpose right now, and I must get to Jerusalem, and nothing will deter me. And the Samaritan said, well, what's the point of having him? No, just if you're not willing to stay here with us for a while, if you're not willing to work amongst the Samaritans, if you're not, he was, he was come for the elect. And so they, they rejected the word that was coming by their way. And it says, and when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them even as Elijah did? And he turned and rebuked them and said, you know not what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Amen. So here they are now. They're so on fire with the message. They said, here's these people that have rejected the message. Would you like it that we would call fire from heaven? Just say the word, and we'll call fire from heaven, and the whole village will be destroyed. And Jesus looked at them like, you don't even understand the right spirit you ought to be in. You don't even understand the hour you're living in. You don't even understand what this is all about. You're looking at things totally in a carnal manner. This is not what it's about. This rapture that we are living in has a purpose. And the purpose is a bride that is coming surrendered completely to the word of God. It's not about getting people into a church. It's about letting the word become quickened in lives. Letting people become so in love with the word of God. I'll tell you what, if you're not in love with the word of God, you're in the wrong spirit in this hour. You're in the wrong place in this day. You've you got to get out of that place. You've got to shake yourself. I say it again, shake yourself. If you're not in love with the Word of God, listen, we all got trials. We all got hardships. We all got things we're going through. That's not what I'm talking about. But we're in love with the Word of God. As Jesus said to Peter at the end of the book of John, John uh, he said, Peter, one thing I want to know, do you love me? There's coming a change here, a change of dispensation. There's coming a total change. But Peter, in the midst of this all, it's not about what do you know. I want to know, do you love me? Hallelujah. Still with me? 57. It says, and it came to pass that as they went, a certain man said unto, unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has not where to lay his head. He says, Lord, I'll walk in this message, but let me just go take care of business. He says, first of all, I'll tell you right now, the hour's late. There's not a time to be distracted by worldly affairs, and it doesn't matter whether it's bearing somebody or whatever more. The hour was very late. There was two weeks left here. He says, this is not the time to be distracted. And I'll say to the bride of Jesus Christ, this is not the time to be distracted. It's not the time to be caught up in the affairs of this world. This is not the time to be, you know, I, I thank God for this message because it brings back uh, a full legal right to everything that was lost be, by Adam and Eve in the beginning. It's this message that fixed my home. It's this message that fixed my relationship with my wife. 
It's this message that taught me how to put my home in order. If it wasn't for this message, my family would have been a mess. My, my home would have been a mess. I doubt, I'll tell you what, if it wasn't for this message, most of my children would not have been born because I doubt that my marriage would have lasted. You know, my younger children, especially, I'll say from about child number four on, or we'll even say from number three on, and that's a lot of them, uh, but... Uh, they don't realize they owe their life, their existence to this message. Because if it wasn't for this message, they wouldn't even be alive. Because I don't think that marriage would have lasted. But this message put it in order. There's all those wonderful things. There's many things that God does for us in our homes, our lives, our relationships, all of those things. But above all, be focused on the one thing. God is preparing us to be caught out of here. Hallelujah. God is preparing us. And he's saying now, and then he says, foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests. In other words, don't, don't follow me because you think you're going to get something. I have nothing to offer you in this world. But I'll tell you what, I've got a whole lot to offer in another world. Amen? We have a promise. And he said unto another, follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. He said, let the dead bury the dead. He says, but thou go, go thou and preach the kingdom of God. And all, all another also, he said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. And Jesus said, no man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. If you're going to walk in this message, walk in the message. If you're going to walk in the light of this hour, let it fully quicken you. There are some that walked with us, that put their hand to the plow, that turned back. And I say, sadly, they are not fit for the kingdom of God. That may be strong. But you don't get called. You don't come to the light of the hour. Jesus was the word in that day. We have received the word in this day. This message is God's light for this hour. This message is Christ revealed in our day. This is the highest calling a person can be called to. I don't care what it costs me. All I can say, I'm staying with the plow. As long as I have life to live, I'm staying with this plow. Lord, let me just walk in the pattern. Let me just stay in the right place. Let me just walk as a, as a predestinated member of the body of Jesus Christ. I don't care if I'm the least, if I'm the last one that makes it in. I don't care if everybody laughs at me, scoffs at me, uh, uh, makes fun of me. It doesn't matter to me because all I want to do is be there in the end of it all. All right. I don't know who that was for. That, that was just something the Lord put on my heart this morning. You know, you can't, you can't but walk under the light that you're given and the relationship that you're called to. Lovest thou me, he says to Peter. It's a relationship. You know, the relationship that we have to Christ is not the same relationship that the Jews have to Christ. That's why God has to send Elijah the spirit of Elijah again in the tribulation time. 
Because this Elijah's ministry was to send a message of grace and redemption to a Gentile bride. This message is not a message to the Jews. The Jews have a different message, even though there's only one atonement. You see, Luther had a different message. Wesley had a different message. That that they were pointing at the same atonement. Is that right? 2,000 years ago, the price was paid once for all. But there was a message in that day, and there's a message in this day. And in the age to come, the tribulation time, there'll be another message to the Jews revealing to them the value of the atonement in their relationship to God, which their relationship to Jesus Christ is as brethren, as Brother Branham taught us, like Joseph, when he he put his wife, the Gentile bride, in the palace as he went to reveal himself to his brethren. He didn't reveal himself to his brethren as, I'm the bridegroom to the Gentile bride. No, he said, I'm your brother. Is that right? It was a different attitude. It's the same God, Brother Branham says in the fifth seal. It's the same God revealing himself in his different offices, his different titles. But as he reveals himself to the Jews, he's revealing himself in a certain relationship through a ministry of Moses and Elijah that will deal with them directly. But this message isn't their message. This message is our message. This message is the bride's message so that God, Jesus Christ, can reveal himself to us as a bridegroom. Amen. It's the revealing of the bridegroom relationship to a predestinated bride of Jesus Christ. Amen. So it's, we realize that God deals with us in this atonement in this way. And, and you know, there's only one atonement. There's only one faith. There's only, uh, of course, one baptism, one God, all of those things. But the devil likes to complicate it. All right, now I'm going to start moving through this to go towards the end. I won't say I'm about to close. I'm not there yet. But I see the closing in sight. Stay with me. The devil likes to complicate our lives. And I'll say he likes to complicate the message. The message is not complicated. It's not complicated. Just give yourself completely to him. It's not a complicated life. It's a walk with Jesus Christ as he reveals himself to you personally through his word. Life in general becomes complicated, but we need to make sure that that God is our only motivation. A lot of times we like to spruce up purgatory. I'll let that one sink in for a minute. You know, Brother Branham said, there's no other place called purgatory. He says, if there's a purgatory, this is purgatory. This is where we get purged from our sin. All right? But we like to spruce up purgatory. We like to have nice houses and nice cars and nice clothes and nice things in this world and the latest electronics and all of those things. You know, I was thinking, if you want to know if you're ready for the rapture, all right, then you have to know, are you ready to be disconnected from this world? All right? Are you ready to be disconnected from this world? You say, oh, Brother Tim, I'm ready to be disconnected from this world. Are you? then disconnect yourself from social media. Woo! I got quiet. Are you ready to be disconnected from this world? Remember Lot's wife. 
She got called out, but she wasn't ready to be disconnected. I just got to check my feed before I go. Oh, it's getting quiet in here, Brother Adam. I hope I'm not stepping on any toes. Oh, we got to know what's going on here and what's going on over there. What is that to thee? Follow thou me. He's calling you to a personal relationship, a walk with him. And I'm not just saying it because I'm an old timer. I've recently cut down my, this is something God's been dealing with me and I've been cutting down my own time looking at things going on out there in the world. Whatever the news feeds have to show and whatever's going on out there, I'm cutting it back and cutting it back and saying, Lord, I don't want to be caught up in the thinking of this age. I want to be ready to just be separated unto God. I want, to, I want to walk in an attitude where this world doesn't mean anything to me. And when, and when I'm taken from this world, there won't even be a twinge of regret. Amen? Amen? Come on, young people. Amen? I know it's a trap the devil has for you, but what is that to thee? He says, follow thou me. Not just young people, a lot of our sisters are caught up in that. Hey, listen, there's a rapture coming. I may never preach here again. You may never want me to. But I'll just say, this is serious business. It's more serious this January, whatever it is today, 1st, 2nd, 3rd of 2022 than it's ever been before. And, and I'm not preaching become a hermit and hide yourself away we're in the world, but we're not of the world. I just want to be sure when the final disconnect comes that I'm not going to have any regrets. Can you say amen to that? Brother Brown talks about this age. He says, every age has its pressures. For example, the great burden of the last age is the pressure of riches, soft living, and nervous tensions that come through the internet in a complex age that we seem unfitted to live in. I'm not sure if you caught that. I added a word in there. All right. The devil knows how to get to you. Amen? The devil knows how to, how to get your mind in a whirlwind. But God says, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. In the greatest battle ever fought, and I'll go quickly now, he said, that's what's the matter with so many blowed up Christians is because they don't clean the channels out. They don't go down on the inside. He says, you've got to clean it. Conscience, memory, thoughts, laying aside everything and coming from the inside out with that unadulterated word of God that it's the truth. All right, now we, we, we hear that statement, but, but remember what he said in the beginning. He said, this is the reason there's so many blowed out Christians. is because they never get separated to God alone, to his word alone. He says, no matter if 10,000 die on the side today, trusting, 10,000 died on that side tomorrow morning, trusting, that has nothing to do with me. I'm the individual. I'm the one that's trusting. I'm the one that believes it. Can you say amen to that? Amen. He says, now imaginations, conscience, memory, reasons, affections, they're all right if they agree with the word of God. But if your affection doesn't agree with the word of God, get rid of it. Let me say it again. If your affection does not agree with the word of God, get rid of it. 
he says. You'll blow a flu right quick. He says you can have little consciences and little feelings and little sensations and all these things. That has nothing to do with it. That's just little sensations and things. But when it comes to reality, your mind opens it up. Your mind either accepts it or rejects it. It's your mind that opens the door or closes the door and listens to your conscience, listens to your memory, listens to your affections. But when your mind closes itself to these things and let God, the spirit of his word, come in, it blows the rest of the stuff out. Every doubt is gone. Now, if you, if you got doubts, here's the remedy. Every doubt is gone. He says every fear is gone. Amen. If you got fears, it's gone. There's, no, there's hardly been a greater time of fear-mongering than this hour. You see it all through the media. You're all going to die, they tell you. If you don't wear a mask and get a vaccine and all those kinds of things, no, I'm not anti-vaccine and I'm not anti-masking. That's not my point. My point is I'm only going to die when God says I'm going to die. Not a day before, not a day later. It's God alone that has control over my life. You know, I like the way that Martin Luther said, he says, I'm not going to be foolish about this plague that's going on. And their, their fatality rate was 50%. Our fatality rate's a lot lower than that. But he says, I'm not going to be foolish about it. He says, I'm not going to do foolish things and expose myself to it, but neither am I going to run away from it. Amen. He says, I'm going to just walk where God wants me to walk. Amen. He says, if it's my time to go, God knows where I am. You can't run away from God. I don't care if it's COVID or if it's the black plague or if it's heart disease or if it's tuberculosis or if it's cancer or whatever more it might be. It doesn't make no difference. It has no bearing on your life. God has chosen you. He says, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. You want to get vaccinated? I'm vaccinated. You want to get two vaccinations, get two. I got two. You want to get three, get three. You want to get four, get four. Get five, get six. I hear seven, eight, nine, ten. Whatever you want to get. If you think it'll do something for you, go ahead and get it. That doesn't make no difference. What is that to thee? Follow thou me. Listen, I don't care if they put uh, cyanide in the vaccine. I don't care if they put what do they call it, uh, uh, arsenic in the vaccine. What is that to thee? Follow that. If I need the vaccine to go to Africa, I'll get the vaccine. I don't care what anybody says. I don't care. The Bible says if I take up any deadly thing, it'll not harm me. Isn't that the scripture? If they say I got I to gotta get it, then I got to get it. I, I, I had to get the yellow fever vaccine. I don't even know why I'm on this subject because it's not written down on my pages. I had to get yellow fever to go to Africa many years ago. I wasn't sitting around complaining, oh, well, I wonder what's in the yellow fever vaccine. Oh, I wonder what they're trying to do to us now. Come on, folks. It's irrelevant to the believer. I'm not saying it's irrelevant to the world. It's irrelevant to you. What is that to you? If you need it, get it. If you can live without it, live without it. That's up to you. But what is that to thee? Follow thou me. Are you with me on that? I understand what I'm trying to say. I'm not trying to go pro or con. I'm just trying to say, follow him. Follow him. Amen. He says, every fear is gone. That's where I ended up there. 
Every sensation of doubt is gone. Every feeling is gone, he says, when you're subject to the word of God. When you bring these senses subject to the word of God, he says every feeling is gone. I don't feel like a very good Christian. Every feeling is gone. Uh, I, I, I don't feel like God's near me. There's times that God is so, seems so distant, but it makes no difference. What is that to thee? Follow thou me. Every feeling is gone. Everything is gone. What's left? Just faith. Amen. He says, we ex- just accept the word on the basis God said so. I'm sorry, I missed a part here. He says, if one little iota of God's word was disbelieved, caused all this trouble, how are we going back disbelieving the word of God? You can't do it. You've got to shut off all these other things, conscience, memory, reasons, all these other things, casting down reasonings. We don't reason about it at all, nothing at all. We just accept the word upon the basis God said so. And it sets a stream between you and God. And every channel comes open between you and God then. It sets a stream between you and God. What is that stream? Lovest thou me? It's a stream of love. Because you are love, because you were in his mind before the foundation of the world, and he's love. And when love comes to love, then that's two omnipotence meeting. And it sets a stream between you and him. And then it doesn't matter about anything else. You're just walking with the mighty Jehovah. Amen. I better get moving here. Lovest thou me. That's what it's all about. Lovest thou me. You're not joining something. You're being united to him. Yes, it starts from the new birth. To be correctly focused, the word must be present on the inside, quickened in your heart to focus you into your calling and focus everything else away except a man be born again. Brother Bram says a Christian is not a tool of some organization, not some kind of something, a mechanical wrench to a great big religious regime. He says that's not a Christian. A Christian is to be Christ-like. A Christian cannot be a Christian until Christ comes into the man and the life of Christ is in him. Then it produces the life that Christ lived and you do the things that Christ did. What am I talking about, he said? Personal relationship to Christ. Are you still with me? All right, I know I lost some of you now. The ones that, are, that love the short sermons... I've started to fade away. He says, Christians, oh, you must have a personal relationship to God. In order to be a son of God, you must become relation to God. He must be your father in order for you to be a son. Only his sons and daughters are saved, not the members of a church, but sons and daughters. There's the only thing, one thing that will produce that. That's the new birth. The new birth is the only thing that will produce relationship to God. Is that right? Sons and daughters. Amen. What is the new birth? It's simple. Repent. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The quickening of God down in your soul that quickens that predestinated seed and brings it to life in you that you're sealed until the day of your redemption. You know, we... Excuse me for taking a moment here to talk about how to do it. 
Most of you are believers. But there might be one person here who says, well, what do I do? Paul, they asked him that on the day of Pentecost. They asked Peter. He says, repent, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. And be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and your children and them that are afar off. Even as many as the Lord our God shall call. That's why there's tens of thousands of people in these last couple years getting baptized in the country of Uganda. Something special takes place. God in his sovereignty knows how to quicken the elect. Salvation is of the Lord. It's not you, it's not me. It's God stirring the heart of the lost and bringing them in. All we can do is tell them we can't save them. But God saves them. If they'll surrender themselves, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. True repentance, true obedience to the word entitles you to the token. All right, now, I was talking about a prodigal on Friday night, but I'll give you another story. God knows what he's doing. I was, I was in Uganda here in November, and, and uh, I was uh, having a meeting with translators. We'd, we've done some translation in the Luganda language and really built upon what this, this church has sponsored many years ago. And then we moved over into the Oteso language, which also was a language that this church sponsored many years ago, and we've gathered some of those translations. And then we're having, I was having a meeting with the Luganda and the Oteso translators, uh, uh, on that day, and the, some brothers in the Karamuja region asked to come and see me and to talk about translation. And, and they contacted the brother that I work with in Uganda, Brother Busabozi, who organizes all the translation works. And, uh, and I said, sure, let them come. And they want to talk about translation? Sure. And so now the Karamuja region, as Brother Hildebrandt knows, that's a rough area, Brother Ed. If you ever get invited there, please go because I don't want to go there. All right? It's a lawless place. Matter of fact, Brother Busabozi went up there to set up the translation work, which we're now beginning, and immediately caught malaria. So please. And uh, so, anyway, there, but this is an area that these are cattle farmers and cattle rustlers. And, and thieves and all kinds. It's just a rough area in Uganda. It's right next to this northern area, right next to Sudan and that area. And so these brothers come and they, they share with me their issue. And, and they had been in the message for many years, but there's very few English speakers in the, in the country. And uh, uh, they, they actually have no message books in their language. None. And when they told me that, my heart nearly broke. Because if you just allow me to share just a little bit of a burden here, is this all right? When Brother Branham saw the preview of the bride, he saw them clothed in the garment of their own nationality. Is that right? What is the garment? The garment is the word. They must have the word in their own language. Hello? What else could it mean? It's not their own culture. Though we are clothed in the wedding garment of the word of God. We are clothed by his word. They all weren't dressed like North Americans. They were dressed in their own nationality. So they needed, they need the word in their own language. 
And, and actually, it was just before the translator meeting that God made this real to me. And so I'm sitting there just pondering this fresh thought that God was speaking to me from about that vision. And then they're telling me, we have no messages in our language. And I, so I'm like, well, how do you understand the message? And they said, well, there's a few of us that can read English. And, and so you can understand that their understanding of the message is very rudimentary. And I know they've gone through difficulties doctrinally and that sort of thing in that region. And one brother said, he says, I, I read English because of a supernatural work of God in my life. And this is one of the pastors there. And he said, now there were five pastors. Uh, actually, one of them, Brother Harold, was the son of John Mark, if you remember who John Mark was in the Karamuja region. And his son, Abraham, was one of them that was sitting there. And so... Uh, he was, they were sitting there, and, and one of the other brothers, an older brother, said, I couldn't read English. I could only just read just a few words. He says, and I, I couldn't read my Bible. He says, because it was just, you know, just very few words. And he says, I was so desperate. He says, I was fasting and praying. He says, I went out into the, into the wilderness to pray that God would open my understanding to be able to read English. He says, and I fell asleep, and I had a dream. He says, and in the dream, God spoke to me. He says, okay, you can read English now. He says, and I woke up. He says, I could read the Bible. Just think of what that means to him. What would it mean to you one day that God says, you can now read the Bible? I say praise be to God. Amen. It was an outstanding time we had with those brothers, and I just said, well, brothers, I said, I'll do what I can, and I said, well, we'll let the need be known, and I went home and told the people, and basically what I told them was this. I said, any language now that we work in, we've kind of worked out a way that we do things. We've got 227 messages that we like to translate as soon as possible, and the rest of the message can take its course, but we have a kind of a nucleus of 227 titles that we feel are very important that people get into their language as soon as possible. And we don't like to do it slowly. I says we try to put a team together because we want 10 translations a month. Generally speaking in the, in the and I'm just sharing this just to tell you the end result, is, is that generally speaking we, in poor countries we give them $150 per title to get the message in their language so that they, they can spend full time at it and, and we can get 10 translations a month and so that in two years we're done these 227 messages. And I said, so 50, $1,500 a month times 24 months, I said, that's basically $35,000 it takes in any language to get them the message in their language. And uh, right after the right after, day after the service, I had a brother come to me, he says, I'll give you every penny for the Karamuja language. I said, praise be to God. And, and so that's why we're beginning the translation work there. That's not the end of the story. A few weeks later, about three weeks later, I got an email from uh, Brother Busabozi just sharing with me some baptisms that had taken place in his church and sent me some pictures. And, and so it was very nice. We were rejoicing together. And a couple days after that, he said, Brother Tim, I want to share a story with you because I didn't know this story until now. He says, the young man that I baptized on Sunday, he says, he was, he, how he came to our church was he was going through the streets of Kampala. 
and he came across a tract on water baptism. And he picked up that tract off the street, he says, and, and he looked at it and it had our address on it. He says, and the reason it was there is because we do street preaching. I think there was a couple brothers here did some street preaching recently. Was that you? Yeah. And uh, uh, so, you know, that you never know what's going to happen. And, uh, and so they, he, he says, this young man picked up the tract and he, he, he was looking at it. He found our address on it and he followed the directions to where our church is. He started coming to church for about three weeks. Okay, the timing of this is incredible. And he says he sat in the service and God quickened him and he gave his life to Christ and we baptize him in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I'll tell you who that young man is. He said, he was the son of one of those Karamuja pastors that was in a meeting with me just a couple weeks earlier. He had left his home to make his way in life. He was a prodigal son. But God had it. But God, rich in mercy. For his great love, wherewith he loved us. When we were dead in trespasses and sins. Amen? God came by our way. Well, how is God going to get this young man? We might say in our North American thinking, why don't they pick the trash up off the street? What a mess this place is. Look at the papers and the garbage all over the street, Brother Max. How can they do this in Africa? And, you know, they need to get some street sweepers and stuff, clean this stuff up. God had it that those brothers preached on that street corner. He wasn't there to hear it. But he came by later and he saw this piece of paper and he picked it up because somebody else didn't want it. It might not be for the one you speak to. It might be for somebody else. And he picked it up and he was led to the Lord. God was directing his footsteps to lead him to the place where God could quicken him. Maybe his dad was too hard for him or something or something in the home church didn't go right or something. I'll, I'll tell you what, God will not lose one. God will not lose one. He knows how to direct every predestinated seed to the word of the hour. Amen. I say praise be to God. God knows what he's doing, and, and I don't know what the latest story is. I'm sure they've connected back again with dad back home and whatever, but I, I rejoice in it. I say, oh, Lord, you are sovereign in your ways. Lord, you know how to do things. Sometimes we think it's got to be this way. Sometimes we think it's got to be that way. But God knows what he's doing. We can commit our loved ones to the Lord, and the Lord will take care of it. You believe that? Believe for you and your house, and they shall be saved. I believe that with all my heart. Hallelujah. i got to skip over some things here. But, you know, we, we realize that love is the greatest part that there is. That we're, we're living in this these last days. You give me 15 more minutes? All right, we're living in these last days now as we come to the reality of the hour that we're living in. There is so much distraction. There are so many things that are happening. You know, it doesn't matter whether you want to talk about Israel, whether we want to talk about America, whether you want to talk about even what God's doing around the world, and, and we appreciate what God is doing, but sometimes we're 
that's not pertaining to us. The most important thing right now is that we, we are in love with him individually as a son or a daughter of God. The greatest thing that you can do is walk with God. The greatest thing that you can do is love him and let him love you. There's no greater thing in this world. Peter, don't worry about the preeminence that I will have in John. Be concerned about what I want to be in you. Amen, Peter, be concerned about your love for me and my love for you. Don't be all, all overridden in, in something else. And don't even be distracted by your own shortcomings. As we reach the fullness of the bright hour, because the devil likes to distract us, and the greatest distraction we have is our own shortcomings. Wasn't that Moses' greatest distraction? What he thought he couldn't do what he thought he was incapable of, what he thought he had forgotten, all of these things. He had, he had a great uh, distraction in that, but God had to direct him, say, "What? Well, it didn't matter, I'm calling you, I'm choosing you. There's three women in the Bible, and I want to just speak about them just briefly for a moment. I know Esther was spoken on, I think, last Sunday. I think Brother Stephen spoke about that. You know, Esther was distracted because she was raised a Jew, and she knew what it meant to be written in the law. And she knew it was written in the law that nobody could approach the king unless they were invited. All right? So she had an understanding of the law that distracted her from her own rights in her relationship. Okay? She had a relationship with the king, and in that relationship, and I'll just say this was a, the relationship with the king overrode the law. And do you realize your relationship with Jesus Christ overrides the law? There are so many things that grace overrides. There's so many things that God in his power will do for you that you think are impossible because of the law. But yet because of grace, God will do it for you anyway. Because he loves you. We could go back to the beginning in Adam and Eve and their relationship and how Adam chose love over perfection and all of that, that reality there in the beginning. But I don't want to spend a lot of time on Esther. She's already been there. But uh, let's go on to Ruth just for a moment because we'll, we'll talk about where Ruth comes from. Ruth was distracted by her lack of Jewishness. She was a Gentile. She was a Moabite. Moabites had no rights in Israel. She was married into a Jewish family. Her husband died. Her, her brother-in-law died. Her father-in-law died. She was stuck there with Naomi. We know that Orpah went back to her own ways. But there was Ruth saying, your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. It's a great saying. And she walked. She didn't just do it because it was easy. Let's, let's get this straight here tonight, today. Ruth did not follow Naomi because it was easy. She followed because it was right. She labored. She gleaned. She had nothing. She thought, I'll just be alone the rest of my life. I guess I don't know what anybody has for me, but I, it'll just be me and Naomi. I just love Naomi so much. I can't bid to, to leave her. I loved her son so much, and now that's no more, and I'll just keep walking with her. But God had something else in mind. There, we know that there was a Boaz, and the Boaz was looking for his love. He was looking for that inside that would be represented in somebody else's life. 
It was a type of Jesus Christ who's looking for his bride and he's sending out his word saying, is this what quickens you? And when the word comes by your way and says that's real, that's true, that's life, there's something in you that Christ loves you and you love him. It's just a reality. The reality that's based on the word of God. It's not based on something you can understand and read this realm because it's not like the love of this world. It's a more powerful, more eternal, more, more comprehensive love than this world will ever know. You see, that's why Israel had such a problem with relationship. They had a problem with love. Brother Ram talks about it in the church age book. He says they could never understand God's love. Is that right? Let me read it for you. He says, what a stumbling block that is to so many people. He says, like Israel, they wonder if God really loves them. How can God be just and loving if he stands by and watches his people suffer? The world says if he's a good God, why do bad things happen? They don't understand his love, you see. And then he goes to Malachi, the burden of the word of the Lord. I have loved you. I love that. Malachi chapter 1, verse 1. The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. Number one, I have loved you. There's the burden of the word. I believe that with all my heart. That's the burden of this message. It's a love story. I'm sorry if you want to make it legal. I'm sorry if you want to make it do's and don'ts. I'm sorry if you want to make it some kind of hard to live by thing. All I hear is God telling me, I love you. Everywhere I read it in the Bible, it's God saying, I love you. Everywhere, every story that I read, it's about love. Every prodigal son that comes home, it's about God's love. Everything that happens, all I see is God saying, I love you, I love you, I love you. Oh, my brother Tim, there's this and there's that and the disobedience and trials. All. No, I love you. And the older I get, the more clear it becomes. It's about love. That's the burden of the word of the Lord to Israel and it's the burden of the word of the Lord to his bride. Okay, so he says, I love you, saith the Lord. Yet you say, wherein hast thou loved us? That's Israel's response. And God says, was not Jacob's, Esau Jacob's brother? Yet I loved Jacob, and I hated Esau, and laid his mountains and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. Now listen closely. All right, when we say love, we're not talking lovey-dovey. When we talk love, we're talking reality of power. All right? He says, you see, you could, they could not figure out God's love. They thought that love meant no suffering. They thought that love meant a baby with parental care. That's the problem with a lot of people in this world. They want to stay a baby. They don't want to grow up. They don't want to mature. They want to realize that in a relationship, it comes from two sides. As Jesus said to Peter, lovest thou me. Peter, you got to get beyond the fact whether or not I love you. You got to get to the, the basis of it and ask yourself this question Do I love the Lord? Do I really love the Lord? Hello, bride. That's what the bride relationship is all about. Do you love him? Do you love him? 
as he reveals himself in his word, do you love him? As he shows you the difficult parts of life, do you love him? As he takes you through the valleys, do you love him? As he puts you through things for the molding of your character, do you love him? Not do you love the church, not do you love the music, not do you love the preaching, not do you have a favorite preacher, do you love him? That's what he's asking us. Do you love him? He says, God said his love was elective love. The proof of his love is election. And what's the proof of election? That he reveals his word to you. Because only the elect can be redeemed. Only the elect can be quickened. And so it's the proof of his love is election that no matter what happened, his love is proven truly by the fact that they were chosen unto salvation. Then he quotes, because God has chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the spirit and belief of the truth. He may commit you to death as he did Paul. Now the subject here is love, folks. Brother Branham says, if he sent me to hell, I'd still love him. We're talking about real love. I'm sorry, this might not be the greatest New Year's service. But that we would really see God's love in his word. God's love. I don't care about man's love. Man's love can fail. They can be your friends today and your enemies tomorrow. Jesus said, they asked Jesus, where, do you get, where did you get your wounds? In the house of my friends. Oh, well, I lost this friend or I lost that friend. Yeah, that kind of love is failing. The Bible talks about Saul loving David. And in the end, Saul hated David. It wasn't the right kind of love, but God's love is an eternal love. God's love is a part of us. God's love is tied to us. God can never forget you as he says, you're written in the palms of my hands. I can never forget you, he tells Israel. And and that's the same that applies to us. God's love is greater than anything we could ever experience in this world. No matter what happened, his love was truly proven by the fact they were chosen to salvation. He may commit you to death as he did Paul. He may commit you to suffering as he did Job. That is his prerogative. He is sovereign, but this is the great part, but it is all with a purpose. The joy is not that we have suffering. The joy is that there is a purpose behind the suffering. Amen? If he did not have a purpose, he would be the author of frustration, not of peace. His purpose is that after we have suffered a while, we would be made perfect, established, strengthened, and settled. That's the purpose. He's perfecting you. I love you. I'm going to perfect you. He says to you, do you love me? I might put you on the ash heap. Will you love me? I've been there. Anybody been there? He says, I might leave you there for a while. Do you still love me? Yes, Lord, I still love you. When it comes right down to it and I have to choose losing everything in this world, But holding on to God, I'll still say, I'll hold on to God. Nothing else matters in this world to those that are quickened by the word of God. Love, a real love. Ruth's calling was to have a love relationship with Boaz. That was more than anything that she could look beyond. And she had to look beyond her lack of a Jewishness. Because in the law, that there was a law of a kinsman redeemer. All right, but now I want to I take a step back from Boaz for a moment 
And I, want, I really want to talk about Rahab for a moment. Because if anybody's background has defects, Rahab had some defects. My son likes to play uh, Bible stories. Anybody's children like to play Bible stories? You know, David and Goliath, Joshua and Jericho, all those kind of things. And my son, he's only four years old, so he doesn't understand everything. And he says, Dad, come play with me. We're going to take Jericho. So we're, we're marching through Jericho and marching towards Jericho. And he says, he says woo-hoo, we're going to Rahab's house. I thought, oh boy. He doesn't know what that really means. <laughs> but it meant something different for Israel than it meant for Jericho. You understand what I'm saying? All right, we'll leave it there. But he, her, she had a background that had a lot of problems. Come on, folks. She had a background that wasn't very uh, beautiful. And there were a lot of things that she wouldn't want anybody to know. Can you say amen to that? You know, Paul says it this way in, in Philippians. He says, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after. I'm coming to a close now. If that I may apprehend for that which I am also apprehended of Christ, Jesus Christ. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. Hello, Rahab. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. There was this woman, a harlot, on the walls of Jericho doing her business that in her, uh, maybe in their early years, didn't understand she was in the lineage of the Messiah. She was going to be a womb through whom the seed was going to pass that was going to carry on the lineage of the very Christ. The very one that's ordained to redeem the world, the Lamb of God, that would be called the woman's seed, and she, that whole lineage would come through her. And there she was on the wall, a harlot. This isn't a pretty story, but it's a real story. And God was calling her, and she didn't know it. But one day, she heard about a people that was going through the land. She heard about a people that believed in God. She heard about a people that were victorious. And I will say a people that had hinder parts. Hello? But she looked at those people not like Balak and not like Balaam, seeing the hinder parts. She looked at those people and said, that God is real. And I don't know what it would take to be a part of those people, but I sure wish I was a part of those people. She didn't have any idea how to join the message. She didn't have any idea how to join the move of God. But all she knew was something was speaking to her inside. If there was some way that I could be a part of that, I sure wish I could. And lo and behold, God in his sovereignty... Sends two men to her house. Going to Rahab's house. To witness to her of a message. 
to spy out the land because they're going to take that city. And she says, I know that you are God's elect. I know that God is with you. I know that you're going to possess this land. But when you possess this land, remember me. All she thought about was, well, I'm just going to be the least. Maybe if they could just spare my life, I'll just live on the outside of the camp. Just live on, live on the, just the edge and just kind of watch and just kind of enjoy what God's doing in those people. Just be near where God's doing something. Just be able to see where God moves on somebody's life. You know, sometimes I think as believers, we get a little bit selfish. And we think, you know, oh, well, if God didn't do it for me, it's not worth glorifying God. No, if God does something for somebody, we ought to, all ought to glorify God. And there she was, and she, they said, well, we'll remember you, but you need to display the token. Won't go into the token this morning. They go, they come back, the, the walls fall down. Uh, Joshua says, go and get this woman. And they go and get her. She comes into the camp. She's redeemed. And lo and behold, a man sets eyes on her. And he doesn't care what she was. He cares what she is. He was the right man for this woman because he wasn't caught up in, oh, well, she was, she's a Gentile or she was a harlot or she was this or she was that. No, all he knew was love covers a multitude of sin. Sometimes we can't even forget the mistakes of our brothers or our sisters. Hello? Sometimes we get a little bit too condemning of somebody else because they made mistakes. I'll, I'll just stop right now and let the person that made no mistakes please come up here and finish the service. Anybody here? They have to be before the age of accountability, wouldn't it? But we've all been there. We're all guilty. There's no blacker than black. We've all been black. But God, who is rich in mercy... For his great love wherewith he loved us. And there, there Salmon, I got to thinking on this this morning. There Salmon married Rahab. And out of Salmon and Rahab become Boaz. And I don't have any authority for this statement, but I'm going to make a statement. Maybe that's why Boaz wasn't married. Because he came from Rahab. And nobody really wanted that. But God had a purpose in that. Because God was keeping Boaz. And maybe, maybe Boaz had to endure that in his life and say, nobody wants to marry me because of where I come from. You ever think about that? That was Rahab's son. Maybe everybody looks down on me and but he was very successful. He was very blessed of the Lord. He had much lands and he possessed much things. He come from a good line. His father was a captain in Judah. And he, he reflected some of those characteristics. And as he grew and as he matured, as he was victorious, there was a, a mighty warrior raising up, a mighty man of success raising up, but he had a black mark. His mother was a prostitute, or had been a prostitute. 
And his daddy married her, and she was a Gentile on top of that. It might have been a long, a long road, but one day, Boaz, what a man, says, I'll serve you, God, regardless. I'll walk with you no matter what anybody says. I don't care if I'm alone, I'll walk with you. I'll stay where you put me. I don't care if everybody dislikes me. I don't care what people think about me. I'm walking with you, Lord, because I love you. And one day, this little woman comes in the field. He comes by. He notices her. He says, Who's that woman? Oh, they said, that's Ruth. She's a virtuous woman. She come in under, you know, the family over there, and Naomi's her mother-in-law, and she's just serving her mother-in-law and doing what's right. And Boaz said, well, you know the story. Let her glean. Tell, don't, and I, he talked to her, don't go to any other field. He says, let handfuls, handfuls fall on purpose, there's a, there's a relationship developing here. There's something that's very real. All that they had waited for, all that Boaz had waited for. See, Ruth had to go through some things too. She had to go through the loss of her husband to get to that place. Is that right? You could talk about Ruth's family that left the promised land. And they had to actually leave in order to find Ruth, to bring her to Boaz, who was the son of a former prostitute, in order that she too, as Ruth, might be in the lineage of the Messiah. Talk about the sovereignty of God. God knows where to leave the tract, if I can say that. God knows where to bring the word exactly into position. His ways are far above our ways. Oh, let me quote it to you out of the scripture. And you hath he quickened, Ephesians 2, who were dead in sins and trespasses, wherein in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of our flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others... We all lived like Ruth. We all lived like Rahab. We all lived according to that way. We all walked in that way. But then it says, but God, who is rich in mercy, and it's not just about mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us. Hallelujah. Even when we were dead in sins has quickened us together with Christ. By grace you are saved. And has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace. That in the ages to come. Oh I love this scripture pertaining to Rahab. Pertaining to Ruth. It might have been just a little love story for them. But in the ages to come that he might show the riches of his grace. 
Hallelujah! That he might glorify his grace. I chose a woman off the wall of Jericho. I chose a Moabite woman. I chose these people to be a part of my lineage. Open your eyes. It's all about God's grace. Hallelujah! For by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works that any man should boast. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Let's stand together. The Apostle Paul says, I am persuaded that neither height nor depth that neither death nor life, I'll say it the way he said it, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hallelujah. You're a predestinated, elected child of God because of his love. Nothing you did, nothing I did. But we stand here this morning in the redemptive work of God and say, oh Lord, the burden of your word is that you have loved us. The burden of every doctrine is that he loved you. The burden of every portion of the word, even the pertinent parts, if we can say it that way, is that he loved you. And he wrote it here in the pages of the word. And you might have trouble with some part of this word. There might be something that grates on you. You know, so all my life you have been faithful. There might be something that troubles you and the devil keeps taking you back there. Say, but what about this? I just want to tell you something. Every part is written in here because he loves you. Because he loves you. There's nothing else that can be said about it. For his great love wherewith he loved us. When we were unfaithful, he was faithful. When we went through the hard times in 2021, he was there. If you lost a loved one in 2021, he was there. I know what it is to lose a loved one. But I'll say, he was there. It's all for a purpose, no matter what valley we go through. He's there. Though I walk through this, the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. We don't know what 2022 holds, but we know one thing. Based on the past, he's been faithful. When I stumbled, he was faithful. When I felt like I couldn't carry on, he was there. I want to tell you something. I'm so thankful that he was there. At the times when I felt like, you know what, there's no sense going on another day, but he was there. And I thank God that he was there. And he's there with you. And he's been with you in the past. And his love is eternal. It's never ending. And it doesn't matter what you go through. And it doesn't matter the mistake you make. He'll be there.
all my life, he has been faithful. I love you, Lord, for your mercy. For your mercy never fails me All my days I've been held in your hand The moment that I wake up Until I lay my head I will sing of the goodness of together as they play that song whether you know it and realize it this morning or whether you don't it doesn't really make a difference God is faithful if he saw you in his thoughts before the foundation of the world he's faithful to you you might go through battles and struggles of life but I want to tell you he's faithful you might be going through a terrible struggle right now. I want to tell you, your God is faithful. There was a scripture that a brother read in our church just recently. And he, God speaking to Israel. He says, it's in the Isaiah, I think, 40 or 42. He says, I am your God, and I will strengthen you. I wasn't just... You know, it really spoke to me just because, not just because he said, I will strengthen you, but that he said, I am your God. I thought, oh Lord, it all rests on that. That you 
say, I am your God. Lord, that's what you revealed to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. Lord, that's what you revealed down through the ages and what you're revealing to the bride. I am your God. I am your bridegroom. I am the one who's watched over you. When you thought you wouldn't make it, I was the one that carried you through. I'm the one that loves you. And I'm the one that cannot get away from that love. But I want to know one thing. Lovest thou me? Do you love him this morning? If there's somebody here this morning that as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, that might want to raise their hand and say, Lord, I'm feeling real low today, but I want to tell you, I love you, Lord. I want to tell you, Lord, that I believe your word. I don't know how I'm going to make it, but I believe you, Lord. I don't know how it's going to work out, but I believe, Lord, somehow you're going to work everything out in 2022. Somehow, Lord, you're going to be the one that's going to take everything under your control. And I just give myself afresh. I consecrate myself afresh this morning in the first service of this new year, Lord. I say, oh God, I'm yours. I love you. Your word speaks to me. I might not understand it all, but it speaks to me. It ministers to me. And though the devil comes at me hard, yet, Lord, I say, I'm yours. Oh, God, take me and blow out every flu. Cleanse every sense of my spirit. Cleanse everything, oh, God, that would hinder you. Wash me in the water of your word and let your presence fill me, oh, Lord, this morning. Heavenly Father, we just bow in your presence just want to give this service to you simple, simple as though it may be. Yet, Lord, you speak to your people in the simplest of ways. It goes beyond the words that I've spoken this morning, Lord. I just believe that you're able to sovereignly and supernaturally take the simple statements this morning and make them real to the individuals in need, oh God. Lord, may your presence just move through this service even now, Lord. May the power of your resurrection flow into lives that are sitting here or standing here this morning or out over the internet or wherever it might be. Lord, even now, pour into their mind. Rebuke the enemy, O oh God, that is moving about as a roaring lion in this age. I pray, Father, you'll just rebuke the devil. He's already defeated. He's trying to bluff your people. He's trying to bring them up short but Lord may the fullness of the revelation of your word pour into lives and lift up the bride of Jesus Christ lift her up oh God into heavenly places and make her alive more alive than she's ever been before may we walk from this service today with our head held high and our shoulders back and say if God be for us who can be against us oh Lord it doesn't matter what the enemy will do unto me my God is more than able to bring the victory. Lord, we love you. We do love you, Lord. And we thank you for your word that you've sent in our day. We give ourselves to you. Bless this church, Lord. It just how so happened that I was here and just so happened to be fall on my shoulders to minister. But Lord, I believe that you see these things. And Lord, you have ordained them to be so. And Lord, we just ask that you'll just take the service and use it to build up your church. We commit ourselves to you, asking your blessing now upon everything that was said and done, upon the people, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All my life have been faithful.
soul.